Right, we are continuing in our series, Why Bother? So far, we've thought about the theme of uh, Why Bother to Worship, and last week was Why Bother to Belong. This evening's theme is Why Bother to Serve. Early on in uh, lockdown, we saw the best and the worst of people, didn't we? So we saw actually some really good things about people that very quickly people mobilized to serve one another. There was a lot of activity that happened in terms of looking out for neighbors, watching out for the elderly person on their own, all kinds of support networks forming, and uh, the churches were very much at the forefront of that. I know lots of us in our streets are very involved in that in looking out for ways to serve our neighbors. That was fantastic. We also saw the other side of human nature, uh, not serving, but uh, competing and consuming, as there were those incredible scenes of people literally fighting over loo rolls in the shops. Um, remember back to those grim days of fighting over the toilet paper. Uh, thankfully, we got past that pretty quick. But we, we saw by the, the good and the bad in terms of uh, people serving and, and uh, not serving. And uh, then a few weeks, a couple of months into lockdown, especially as things began to ease a little bit, I think we began to see, again, the, the less attractive side of, of human nature. Uh, after those amazing couple of months where the roads were completely empty of cars, once the traffic started to come back, uh, impatience came back fast as well. There seemed to be a lot of uh, impatience and tension and animosity. You could feel that on the roads and could feel it walking down the street and all the anxieties about how close people were and all that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of the time it didn't feel too comfortable, and of course here we had all the issues with hundreds of thousands of people pouring into town on Sunday weekends and the tensions that caused. And then later in lockdown, much more recently of course, we um, had the government's Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which in perhaps the finest piece of governmental joined up thinking was launched the same week as they also introduced a new anti-obesity anti strategy uh, because of concerns that if you're overweight that has negative impacts in terms of how uh, you're affected by the coronavirus. So some brilliant joined up thinking. <laughs> we need to stop people eating so much. What should we do? We know. Let's give them half-price meals. Genius. Uh, and of course with the eat out to help, help out thing, the whole thing about that was, well, be a consumer, and literally, let's consume. Let's consume our way out of recession by eating out to help out. And I think in all those things we, we see, we've experienced a tension, actually, which always exists, that, that we know that society as a whole and our lives personally are better when we're serving one another, but we live in a consumer society and our, our whole economy is built on constant desire, constant spending, constant consumption. And those things tend to feed real individualism, real selfishness. And so though, though we know it's better when we're serving, the whole way our society is built is to actually stop us from serving and, and to live as consumers. And I want us to look at a story which helps us to see something like this. It's uh, Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now this is a familiar story. It's a, it's a Sunday school story. Perhaps if like me, you grew up in church, you grew up in Sunday school singing songs about, I, I must come to your house for tea, Zacchaeus. Those kind of songs. It's a Sunday school favorite. Nancy, you, should, uh, you could rewrite that. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, but there's lots in this story, so let's unpack it a little bit. First of all, it's a sandwich story, not the kind of sandwich you eat, but in terms of where it fits between two other stories. Immediately before Jesus comes to Jericho and has this encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus is on his way to Jericho, verse 35 of chapter 18, and on his way to Jericho, he heals a blind man. Now, this is the miracle that only Jesus does. No one else in the Bible, no prophet, no apostle, no one is recorded as healing the blind apart from Jesus. And this is a miracle that Jesus does more than any other. Of all the miracles Jesus does, the one he does most is heal the blind. And so we're meant to see something here. Whenever we read one of these stories about Jesus healing a blind person, we're meant to see something. It's not just about recovery of physical sight. There's a spiritual dynamic. There's a spiritual application going on. And then after the encounter with Zacchaeus, Jesus then starts to talk to the crowd. He tells a rather strange story about the uh, 10 miners, 10, not coal miners, but 10 miners, 10 amounts of money, and uh, 10 people who invest or a number of people who invest, uh, are given some money to invest, and how they do with that money. And at the end of that story, Jesus says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And Jesus, again, of course, is making a spiritual point. He's talking about true riches. He's talking about wise investment. He's talking about buying into, investing in himself, in Christ. And Zacchaeus is the meat in that sandwich. He connects the two stories, the story of the blind man being healed and the, and the parable Jesus told about these people being entrusted with money and how they did it. Zacchaeus connects those two things. We'll explain more of that as we go, I think. So it's a sandwich story. It's also a comedy story. There's actually quite a lot of kind of physical comedy in this story, and it's not particularly PC by our standards today because it points out Zacchaeus's, uh well, physical lack of stature. He's a short man, and actually he must have been pretty tiny because he couldn't see over the crowd. And you can imagine the crowd forming a bit of a human shield to stop him from getting through because they didn't like him because he was a tax collector, he's the enemy. But you can imagine he must have been a tiny little man and he couldn't see over the crowd. And so there's a kind of a physical comedy aspect going on. He's tiny, but he's also wealthy. The story tells us that. And when the story tells us these things, you can, there's a bit of a pantomime-type scene. You can imagine a kind of panto effect. Here comes Zacchaeus, the funny little tiny man who's really wealthy because he takes all our money. 
boo, hiss. It's that kind of panto comedy type scene. Zacchaeus is the classic little big man. He's tiny in stature, but he's big in terms of his wealth because of the way that he has robbed and defrauded people, which is what tax collectors did in this economy. And then, because he can't see, because he's too tiny to see over the crowd, he goes and climbs up a tree to try and get a view. And that isn't particularly dignified for somebody who has his status in society, a tax collector, a chief tax collector, somebody who's got authority, somebody who's the tiny little man who's intimidating because he has the power of the Roman state behind him, shins up a tree to try and get a view of Jesus. And then Jesus stops and calls him by name. You can imagine, hey, look, there's tiny little Zacchaeus up in the tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. And we're meant to see, I think we're meant to see it's funny. It's a funny story, this little big man shutting up a tree, trying to see Jesus. And Jesus stopping, and rather than booing and hissing, saying, I'm going to come to your house. It's a funny story. It's a comedy story. It's also a mystery story. Why was Zach so eager to see Jesus? The story doesn't tell us. Why did Zach want to see Jesus? We don't know. We're not told. And the reality is there's lots of things that we're not told. There's lots of things in the Bible where you read a verse and then you read the next verse and you think, I'd really like to know something between those verses. And we're just not told. And there's lots of stuff in our lives where we're just not told. And what's happening at the moment is a great example of that. There's so much mystery about what's happening at the moment. And uh, I think the story of Zacchaeus reminds us that actually that's not necessarily always a bad thing to not know everything. You don't, know, have, you don't have to know everything. We need to know what we need to know. And God in his grace tells us what we need to know. It's a, it's a mystery to this story. It's also a miracle story. And in its way, it's just as miraculous as the story of the man who was blind, but Jesus heals before he gets to Jericho and sees Zacchaeus. Actually, it's, it's the same story. Zacchaeus is too short to see Jesus. He's blind. The shortness of his stature means that he can't see Jesus, but also his pursuit of wealth has up to this point blinded him. And now, suddenly... He sees Jesus, Jesus sees him, and everything changes. And he does exactly what Jesus goes on to describe in the parable of the ten miners, that suddenly Zacchaeus, rather than pursuing wealth just for himself, suddenly he starts to invest it in the kingdom of God. Suddenly his whole value system is transformed and changed. What's happened? A miracle has happened. A blind man now sees And it's a story of grace. Zacchaeus was the man that everyone else had written off. He was despised. It says all the people saw this, that Jesus had spoken to him and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And you can imagine it. You can imagine the muttering. If Those of you old enough to remember Les Dawson, it's kind of the, the Les Dawson muttering. You can imagine that. He's gone off to see a sinner. He's gone off to see a yeah, the muttering, why is Jesus in why is Jesus hanging out? Why is Jesus going to the home of this terrible little man who does terrible things, who enacts the rules of the oppressive occupier? 
and takes more than he should and has got wealthy off our backs. Zach had sold his social reputation for money. He, he decided that he would rather be rich than liked. He was happy to be despised by everybody as long as his pockets were full. And then Jesus comes to him and speaks. And, and we get a good indication from Zacchaeus' own lips that he had been a crook because his confession is, look, if I've defrauded people, if I've cheated people, I'm going to give them back four times the amount, which is as good an indication as any that he had been cheating people. He had. And he hadn't cared for the poor. He'd just been filling his own pockets. He was an out-and-out materialist. He was putting all his confidence in cash rather than other things. And it's this kind of person that Jesus goes after. It's an amazing story of grace. And, of course, it's a new start story that Zach is transformed. It's a Scrooge and Bob Cratchit story. And you can kind of imagine Zacchaeus going through Jericho after this, buying turkeys and handing them out to people like, like Scrooge on Christmas Day. And again, I think it's kind of funny. You can grace, the grace of God should make us laugh. It's so good. And it's a funny story. You can imagine Zach just so transformed and the man who'd been taking money from people in his life now going out and throwing money around. And yeah, you can imagine the scene, can't you? You can imagine the little kids chasing after him. Throw me a coin. It's a story about a new start. So what's the application for us? Well, all of these things actually are, all these aspects of the story are applications for us. Have we called out to Jesus to open our eyes? Are we investing in what is most profitable? Do we sometimes take ourselves too seriously and need to laugh at ourselves a little bit more? Do we delight in the mystery of our faith? How is it that I have been able to see Jesus? Why is it that Jesus has stopped at the tree of my life with all my ridiculousness? And said to me, I want to come and make my home with you. How has that happened? The mystery of our faith. Do we see the miracle? Do we see God's grace? Do we see the transformation into which we are brought? Do we see what this means for how we are to live? Everything that happens to Zacchaeus applies to us. The world would define us as consumers. Probably the term that is most often applied to us is customer. What do customers do? They buy stuff. We are viewed as units of production and then of, as consumers of produce. That's, in a sense, all we're good for in the eyes of the global economy, to produce stuff. And are we producing enough? And then when you produce a load of stuff, are you then turning that into cash, which you then use to buy Stuff which other people have produced. How much can you produce and how much can you spend? That is what you are worth. That's what the world would say about us. We're constantly monitored and monetized and sold to. All those pop-up ads on your computer screen, on your phone, which are algorithmically calculated to connect with you because they're checking what you're checking and seeing what you're spending and saying, ah, oh, they want more of this. We can sell them more of this. The whole time we're being advertised to, monetized, monetized, sold to. And it's easy to fall for it that we can end up seeing life as what we have 
And what we want is the relentless pursuit of accumulation, the insatiability of materialism. But those who've had their eyes opened by Jesus see things differently. Zach was transformed from being a consumer to being a servant. He switched from what he could get to what he could give. And his uh, giving becomes disproportionate. It says that he gives back four times. That's crazy. Give back four times what you nicked. It's crazy. He's found something better. He's found something more valuable than cash, and that sets him free. So a good question for us to ask ourselves is, well, am I a consumer or am I a servant? Here's a little chart which might help us with some questions. This is some of the ways that consumers and servants think. Consumers use relationships for their own benefits. What are people for? Just for serving me. They see people as a means to getting what they want. Consumers choose their relationships based on who can best serve them. And when those relationships are no longer being profitable, they're discarded. Consumers don't have much thought about the consequences of their actions. And consumers don't really think about community, don't really think about what builds a healthy community. Just thinking about themselves. Servants are very different. Servants, Christian servants, because of the transforming power of the gospel, reflect the character of Jesus. Servants are alert to how the things that we do can help strengthen the community of God's people. Servants are not arrogant, they're humble. Consider others before themselves. They understand that they are called to serve and to respond when others are in need, actually to make a priority of living for the benefit of others. And servants consistently, generously, gladly give their time and their gifts and their energy and money and everything they have to help and serve others. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. He was transformed from a consumer to a servant. Complete transformation. And you can bet your bottom dollar he was much, much happier for it. And you can bet your bottom dollar he was a whole lot more popular for having made that change as well. And it's not only what Jesus does for Zach, which is amazing, but it's also what Jesus models himself. In John 13, we given that amazing picture, that amazing scene of Jesus watching, washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus says to the disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. I am teacher and Lord. If I then, your teacher, your Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Or spray sanitizing lotion on one another's hands. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus demonstrated the dignity of service, that he was Lord and Master, but he wrapped a towel around his waist and did the job which was the most menial job in the household. The whole deal was that in that culture, you walked along in your sandals and there was all kinds of crap on the floor, literally. The stuff was just thrown out of the house and you walked through it. 
and that meant your feet were contaminated. And it was only the most lowly person in the household who would then touch those disgusting, stinking feet with all the muck on them and wash it. And Jesus got on his feet, got on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples, washed all that muck away. He dignified service. And he says to his disciples, look, if I've done this, so should you. Now, at this time, this coronavirus time, everything is so different, including how we serve one another. How do we serve one another in a time like this? Some of the things which we'd normally do, we can't do, and there are opportunities to do some other things which we perhaps wouldn't normally do. As we um, move to having multiple Sunday services, actually there are opportunities for service, for serving. There's those practical needs we have from running three or four meetings on a Sunday. There's the obvious ones that we uh, need more people involved in helping with children's ministry. We need more musicians to be involved in helping with that. All kinds of practical serving needs that we, we have. And it'd be great to see people stepping up in those areas more and more. I think actually uh, the really key one, though, perhaps, in terms of how we serve one another at this time, is just our, our attitude towards one another. The frustrations and the tensions are so real and can build. And it's so easy to misjudge one another and feel frustrated with one another. And everybody has different opinions about what should be happening. And we're at different places of the spectrum of how that should be. And there are some in the church who are much more at one end in terms of we should be much more like this. And there are others at the other side, so we should be much more like that. And then there's kind of the bulk in the middle, maybe not too sure. And it's so easy to start to assume the worst of one another and become impatient with each other. And we've got to work really hard. Part of our serving of one another at this time is to think the best of each other. Quick to forgive, quick to extend grace, quick to laugh at ourselves when we do stupid things. When I do stupid things, it's better to laugh at myself rather than take myself too seriously and try and defend myself. It says in the first letter of Peter, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've had your eyes opened by him, if he stopped at the tree of your life, and said, let's talk. You have received a gift. What are you to do with your gift? You're to use it. What is your gift? Could be anything. Could be any number of things. Use it. Serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let's come to Jesus and allow him to open our eyes, as he did for the blind man as he did for Zacchaeus. Let's allow him to open our hearts so that we can be soft and generous towards one another. And let's allow him to open our hands, hands which would even take disgusting, stinking feet covered with the mess of first century Palestine and take those feet in its hands and wash and cleanse them. Let's 
open our eyes, open our hearts, open our hands, and serve and bless one another. Whatever happens, whatever decisions the government makes, whatever happens with this coronavirus, let's commit to serve and bless each other and witness to the world around us the reality of the grace, the miracle, the transformation that we've received because Jesus has opened our eyes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and I'll hand back to Nancy and Claire and Graham. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful little story here of Jesus, how you entered into Zacchaeus' world. Thank you that even though he was a comic figure and despised by the other citizens of his town, thank you that you stopped and uh, you didn't laugh at him, but you showed incredible grace to him. And thank you that salvation came to his house. Thank you that was demonstrated by the transformation. The consumer became a servant. Wonderful. And thank you you do that for us. I, I pray that we would know the wonder of this. I pray that we'd be reminded of it, Jesus. I pray we'd remind ourselves again and again the miracle, the grace, the wonder, the mystery that Jesus has stopped at our door and invited us invites us to know fellowship with him. Lord, what a miracle, what a wonder. I pray that we'd feel the enormity of that gift and that will cause us in turn to be gracious and generous with one another, to be true servants of each other, to demonstrate Christ-like love to each other and to this world in which you've placed us. This I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.